allow me to take you on a short trip in your mind and imagination this morning. And you'll find yourself in just these few seconds standing in front of a dirty, what we call a tenement building in the city of Glasgow. The street is called Onslow Drive. And on the entranceway, which is traditionally in Scotland called the Close, you'll find the number 263. And you go in there and move upstairs because there's no elevators. You go to a small apartment, which in Scotland traditionally has been called a room and kitchen. And on the door frame of the bedroom going into this room and kitchen, unless some unthinking person has filled them with polyfilla and wiped them out, you will find some tiny little marks making their way up the door frame. Because you see, every year on my birthday, I stood against that door frame. And my dad measured the height of my head. I was always excited to know how much I'd grown in the last year. Ever do that in your house? Man, you guys didn't have any fun at all. I mean, just, you know, it was the highlight of my life. Had I grown? So, well, ever. That's what we did. We begin a new series this fall. We'll take us through to the end of November. It has a very clear agenda. I'll tell you right up front. You hear it every week. The agenda is this. We'll ask each one of us. How are we doing? Where do we need to be growing and moving forward spiritually in our lives? It's just a great morning. The only person who has arrived is Jesus. Is that right? Yeah, good. Okay, make sure we're on the same track. And the rest of us are still on the journey. The rest of us are still involved in pilgrimage. And so we need to be asking ourselves with some very candid honesty, are we stuck? Are we slipping backwards in this pilgrimage or are we actually moving forward? The marvelous thing about the grace of God is this, is that it will meet us and accept us no matter where we are, no matter what we've done. Grace doesn't say, well, Tom, if you get to this height and this measure, then we'll start to work with you. It meets us wherever we are. But the next thing we will learn about the grace of God is this, that it is not content to live. It will push us and pull us on. It will urge us forward. You see that again and again. Let me give you some verses in the scriptures that really talk about that. Philippians 1.9 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. In other words, you're moving forward. Colossians, it says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please in every way, bearing forth this last phrase, in the knowledge of God. It is saying to us that we have not arrived in knowing God. So we need to be moving forward in that. Second Thessalonians. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith, your faith is going more and more, and the love all of you have for one another increasing. I hope that God, the Spirit of God, can say that, excuse me, about us and about our church. That our faith is increasing and our love for one of God, love for one another is also growing. There are many, many other verses that echo the same truth. Growing and increasing. We're called not to be static, not to be stuck in the same position. And so the thrust of this false series, I will tell you, is to challenge each one of us to see that no matter where we are in our spiritual pilgrimage, we can take at least one step forward in a specific area. For example, the next step for some of you might be in baptism. 
two Sundays from now, we'll be talking about that. Maybe it's in prayer, or hearing God's word, or growing in gratitude. And you might, some Sundays before, we'd be challenged to come forward in prayer and have or a deacon or whatever pray for you and go from here with a specific plan of action in your life the issue you see is not how much we know the issue is how much we know that we are translating into the daily reality of our lives most of us know things we are not doing we need to challenge and move forward and so maybe the first question we really need to ask ourselves about this pilgrimage is simply this. Are we on the right road? You know the saying, the, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Sounds so profound, doesn't it? Really? And that's the same with a Christian life in pilgrimage. It begins with getting on the road that Jesus... It is a step that requires and encourages investigation. You know, Jesus called anyone to follow him under false pretenses. He only allows us to examine the evidence. In fact, he wants us to do that. There was a disciple you remember called Thomas. He was called what? Doubting Thomas. He wasn't sure about things. And at the end of his life, at the end of Jesus' life, after the resurrection, Jesus comes and meets him and shows him his hands and shows him his side. And it says, Thomas says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe. And you can see him almost looking at Thomas and us, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Jesus invites us to examine the evidence about who he is in this remarkable book we call the Bible. When we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about some vague new Christ consciousness. We're talking about the historical life of someone who lived and who walked on this earth and who died and arose again. Do you know, young people, that the historical foundations of the Christian faith are extremely solid? We possess documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, which were written within decades, just decades, of the resurrection. And each one is based on eyewitness accounts. We have over 4,000 Greek manuscripts that make up the Gospels in the New Testament. And one of the best is only 300 years after that, um, that, that in the original manuscript. That is not the case of any other um, document that we have in Greek or in Latin. The Gospels are closer to the source than anything we have. It is a step that calls for reason in our lives. I think some people think that when you become a Christian, you give up your mind and you give up thinking. And let me tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. Faith does not feed on thin air. It feeds on facts. It stands on the solid ground of reason. It is not a giant leap into the dark. It's not against reason. But it asks us to step beyond reason. Reason may take us to the edge of our knowledge and information. And then faith stretches out its hand and invites us to step forward. It's a matter of historical fact that, Je- that says that Jesus died. But it takes a step of faith beyond that to say that Jesus died for our sins. That's the difference. God invites us to to bring the very best of who we are to know Him, including our minds, 
to a reasonable and to a reasoned faith in Jesus Christ. Augustine said, a Christian is a person who thinks in believing and who believes in thinking. It's a step that for us will demand a decision. Whenever we say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of go for the flow. We're letting other people decide our But we must not, and we cannot, let people make up our minds about the most important decision we can make, which is, who is Jesus Christ, and what does his life mean for me? We are called to decide in at least three areas. We decide to repent. The Greek word for that is metanoia. Repentance means a change of thinking. It means to change the direction that our feet are going in. And when we follow Christ, we change our life and we change our lifestyle. An unrepentant Christian is a contradiction in terms. We decide to believe. And we, may just, we may think that believing just happens to us when we just kind of said this falls upon us. Not at all. Believing is something that we decide to do. We stand in front of the evidence and we say, I will accept this. That's what Doubting Thomas did. He stood in front of the evidence of Jesus. He saw his hands and the scars in his side and he said, I will believe that. When I was around 19 or so, which is now getting to be a long time ago, but when I was about 19 studying philosophy in the University of Glasgow. I had accepted Jesus when I was about 16. I'd been baptized fairly soon after that. But when I was about 19 studying philosophy, I came to what I will honestly tell you is a crisis of faith. Is this true? It's what I sing and what I hear on Sunday morning. Is this really true? And I was not sure. Now I'm the kind of person that requires what I call intellectual integrity. I will not just believe in nothing. So I went on a journey in my mind and a journey in my heart. And it was a journey with the best of my ability at that time. I took my faith apart as it were, not in bold, and then rebuilt it. And when I was 19 and 20, I was satisfied that this was what I believed, and this was what I would commit the rest of my life to. We decide to believe. And I tell you also, thirdly, we decide to receive. We receive as we were singing this morning, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and who he is. We receive forgiveness of God. And I'm getting to know you and enjoying that. Met some more of you down at the summer conference last weekend in Washington. But can I tell you if you're not yet a believer? Maybe you've sat in this church years. Maybe you're a young person and your parents come here. And so you kind of sit with that. You sit with other young people. I would challenge you this fall to consider. Are you examining the evidence of who Jesus Christ is? Are you investigating him fully in your life? Because I would call you to intellectual integrity in your life. That you know what the basis of this faith is. Or are you just waiting for some cosmic gallop pole to see what happens on Judgment Day? Don't wait for that. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And this fall, perhaps, you need to take that step and to get on the right road to Jesus. But you need to hear the other side of that saying. I never hear this one. The first step may start the journey, but the purpose of that first step is the journey of a thousand miles. You don't take a few steps and say, hey, you know what, I'm tired. I'm not stop. I'm not going on any further. 
And many of you I know have made that decision to follow Jesus. But then the question is, what's happened then? What do you have? Now I believe that the church generally today faces the tragedy of what I call Peter Pan Christians. Remember Peter Pan? Peter Pan was a little boy who never grew up. And it is an agony for my heart when I see Christian adults who are trying to live a Christian life but on a faith that simply belongs back in Sunday school. There's a huge difference between being childlike and being childish. And agonized for Christians more than you would know, whose faith is little more than tradition, for simply following some rules instead of experiencing a living, growing relationship. Christ. But they might say to me, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and 30 years, and 40 years. Do you know that Christian faith and growth is not chronological? It does not depend on how many years you've been a Christian. You may have been a Christian for 30 years, but ask yourself with some honesty, is that one year's faith 30 times over? Or have I really been growing and walking through all of those years? We learn that tragedy of these, what I call Peter Pan Christians, from the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember they came to the edge of the promised land, and they kind of said, Wow! Look at all that! But being, the people in that land are pretty big. Hmm. I think we'll go back to the world. And so they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And then 40 years later, God brings them, back, brings them back to exactly the same point with exactly this question. And says, now let's try this again and see if we'll move forward. Christian faith is not chronological. It is relational. It depends on the vitality and of our health of our relationship with God. Sometimes people might say to you, and might say to me, but you know what? A while ago, I've lost my faith. I don't think we lose our faith at all. What happens is we do not put our faith to work. Faith is like muscle. Exercise it, use it, it'll be Leave it unused and it will atrophy and die. Someone training to be a concert pianist that may practice 8 or 10 hours a day. A marathon runner may run 15, 20 miles in road training. And day by day they become stronger and better at their skill. But nothing sadder than a Christian, someone's been a Christian for 30 and 40 years, trying to get by on the faith. They, they have Sunday school days, or when they're still Christians. That does not need to be. This week and this fall, you can start to change that. This group of people that we was disciples. And he says to them, leave your nets. <coughs> What's he saying to them? He's saying to them, leave what is familiar. Leave what is safe. Leave what's predictable. Leave what you know how to do. And step forward and come and follow me. Into some new area of growth. What might that be for you? In two weeks, two Sundays from now, I will seriously ask you to consider the step of baptism in your life if you have not been baptized. Two young people will be baptized that way. Baptism, I will teach you, is a step of obedience. It's a step of growth. It's a step of love. 
And I believe that it's a step that we're called to take soon after we become Christians. And would you think seriously about this with me? If it is indeed the next step of obedience we're called to take, we try to avoid it. If we think we can step round it rather than into the waters of baptism, think seriously with me. It may well be that the other steps of growth that lie beyond that are denied to us or are certainly are diminished. They become more difficult. You understand me? If this is the next step that God is calling you to do, if we say, I don't think I'll bother with that, then we may find ourselves slowing down and stopping on our pilgrimage as we seek to follow Jesus. Two weeks from now, if you've not been baptized, I will challenge you. Is that the next step of faith and love call to me? We'll look at some other steps that grow through the weeks. We'll look at what it means to get um, this Sunday, um, next couple of weeks, some new adult classes start. And the one that I will teach starts at Oberly School um, this Sunday morning. We're going to start to talk together about what we will study together in God's Word. We'll see what we will do. Um, Pastor Cindy is going to start one in a couple of weeks on discipleship for Christians. Is that right, Cindy? Got that right? No matter where you are in your Christian life, what does it mean to grow? It's a great verse out of 1 Peter. Like newborn babes, Crave pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up in your salvation. Now, I could resist this next slide. We bring it on. You're supposed to go, ah. You ready? One, two, three. Thank you. That's our new little grandson. His name is Caleb. Ah, you're getting it. You're you're understanding the rules. He is now twice his birth weight. Now, how did that happen? Well, he just eats. And eats. And kicks. And eats. Stretches. And eats. Twice his birth weight. He's doing the things he's supposed to do as a little baby. And in that process, he's growing. Peter says, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk. I give you from God's Word. So that you grow up in respect to your salvation. We'll talk one morning about prayer. I think many, many of us would say, you know what, I need to learn to pray more and pray better, pray deeper. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about how relationships in the church need to grow. Maybe you need to get into a small group. We'll talk one morning about how to live with gratitude and out of that to be more generous in our giving towards God and the church. We'd like to start sharing our faith, sharing the story of Jesus. We need to be less nervous and more open about that. You know, when we start relating our faith to what we believe and to our behavior, we will find that we will grow up. Because that will demand a growing edge just to survive. So if you honestly feel your faith is static, it's stagnant and not growing, Sunday by Sunday and week by week, I suggest that you will, can start putting and exercise. Talk about that. And this fall, I will tell you, will be real work for our spiritual muscles. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, So then, he says, Just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Remember the first step? As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, we need to be able to take that off and say, I'm on the road. And then if Paul says, you need to be rooted in him. It's a picture of a tree with strong and stable roots going deep in the ground, feeding on water. The problem is, frankly, 
that some Christians and churches have been in the same place for so long that they are rooted. It means that they've grown roots. And you can't move them for anything. That's not the picture Paul's talking about. We simply do not grow and we keep doing what we already know how to do. That's not growth. That's repetition. Growth comes as a result of exercising our spiritual muscles to move us beyond where we are, taking us out of the comfort zone. Growth comes when we move forward beyond what we know how to do. And we move forward into some area where we've not gone before. Perhaps some area of service involved in, in the church this fall. We try something we've not tried before. And fear slowly gives way to challenge. Challenge gives birth to change and growth and excitement. Ask yourself this morning, where do you need to start? What's already in your mind? I believe for us this fall that God has planted something in our minds. And He's saying to each one of us, this is where I want you to start. What are you going to do about it? Over the couple of months that um, I've been here and um, we get to know each other, I I will tell you, you know me actually only very little. Uh, Very little. In many ways, I'll share a little bit about who I am with you this morning. Um, In many ways, I'm a timid person. Uh, You know one of the things I'm scared of? Public speaking. It's weird, eh? I'm really nervous about public speaking. So I'm a timid person. I'm often afraid of new experiences. I think, frankly, that's true of many of us. And so we say, well, you know what, I've never done that before. And so we kind of pull back and we stay where it's safe. But here's another side to my character. I am more afraid of staying where it's safe. I am more afraid of staying with the status quo, where it's safe and comfortable, and then missing out on something that God wants me to experience. I am more afraid of that. And so I'm the person, as timid as I am, has also been willing to take risks. It's the way God's wired. So one day God said to a man called Abraham, thousands of years ago, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. In other words, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you have. I want you to leave what is familiar and safe, where you know how things work, And I want you to go to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Do you know that everything that happened to Abraham and then through Abraham unto us, all the people of God, was contingent, it all hung on that very first word which was leave. Leave what is safe and predictable and unknown. And Jesus met several men one day. They were fishing. This is what they knew how to do. They fed their families every day. They made their livelihood at it. They were probably pretty good at it. They did it the same way every day. And the first word of Jesus to them was, Leave. Leave what is familiar. Leave what you know how to do. Leave what is safe. Leave what is predictable. I want you to come and step into a new experience and come. And after the crucifixion, when Peter has had to face his deepest personal failure in his life, what does he do? 
Where did Jesus find them? You know, he went back to fishing. He went back to where it was safe and predictable and familiar, what he knew how to do. And once again, Jesus calls him out of that. In this weeks that lie before us this fall, may I encourage you, may I challenge you, some Sundays I may even bug you, to let go of what is safe in your life. Stretch forward. Don't just stay with tradition. Don't just do the motions. Don't just maintain the status quo. But Jesus, as we were singing this morning, Jesus high and lifted up. Jesus worthy the Lamb. Jesus and all that He is and all that He has done for us. Jesus is worth so, so much more than just safe and predictable. So imagine this morning, like me when I was a little boy up in Glasgow. You could stand as it were with your back against God's Word. Just stood with my back against the door. God in His grace could come and measure us and tell us how much we've grown and tell us also in these weeks how much we still need to grow. Like